You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. We all know that exercise is helpful to our cardiovascular system and for overall physical fitness. Just how might it help treat anxiety and depression? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Antonia Baum. Dr. Baum is a founding board member and the vice president of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. She is also assistant clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the George Washington University School of Medicine. In addition, she has an active private practice in Chevy Chase, Maryland, where she's worked with professional, college, and high school athletes, as well as with weekend warriors. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Leslie. Dr. Baum, can we really treat things like anxiety and depression with something so simple as exercise? There's a couple of ways to answer that. The simple answer is yes, but I don't think of exercise as so simple. As far as uh, what we know about what it does for the brain and what we still don't know in that black box is that exercise may have some really profound effects on the brain. We know about uh, beta endorphins and their release, that sort of feel-good chemical, but what possible cascades does that trigger in the brain that might take the place of or do the same function as some of the psychotropic medications that we use that might unleash serotonin and norepinephrine. The other reason, of course, that doing sports isn't so simple as we all know from our clinical practices is how very difficult it is to motivate certain patients. You know, and I never really understood that. Maybe you can help me with that, that for something that's so good for you, you know, in every way, mentally, physically, aerobically, you name it, why is it so darn hard to get people to exercise? You know, it's interesting. I sort of look at human beings as maybe we shouldn't all be defined as one genus and species. When I go to the zoo and I look at animals as diverse as hippopotami and gazelles, that's how I sometimes try to understand And I think the hippopotamus is naturally sedentary and, and happy to sort of lollygag in the mud. And that would never be the gazelle's way of going about things. So sometimes when I'm having a really tough time with a patient and motivating them, I think we're really just wired very differently. Are there any clinical studies actually supporting this sort of common sense notion that exercise is helpful? Yeah, in fact, there are. And that's the good news is that there is quite a bit that one can do to help patients. You know, and one way to motivate patients, I will sometimes go on walking or jogging sessions with patients. Sometimes it frees them up to talk about things that they wouldn't if they were sitting across from you in an office, but it also helps to kind of motivate them and get them into a pattern where they start to see the and feel the benefits of the activity. There was a paper from the American Journal of Epidemiology that was published out of the UK a while back. Um, can you tell us about that? They looked at a bunch of middle-aged guys over years and uh, were able to endorse that exercise helped with their depression and anxiety. But interestingly, that on-the-job physical activity didn't seem to, which, you know, you wonder about the psychological impact of on-the-job work versus feeling like you're going out and doing something good for you by going out for a jog. Or just the whole concept of pleasure. You know, I I would think that digging a ditch at work isn't very fun, but maybe playing racquetball would be, and, and maybe that's really the key. You know, that's a good point, because when we think of some of the other things that make people feel good or that release dopamine, whether it's chocolate or sex, doesn't have to be exercise per se. Now, in that study, did the benefits of exercise persist over time? The benefit was no longer evident at the 10-year mark, unfortunately, for whatever that's worth. So it worked in the earlier years, but maybe not in the later years? Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what to make of that. It does not dissuade me from attempting to use 
exercise to treat both depression and anxiety. So you mentioned that the positive effects of exercise on things like endorphins and other neurotransmitters. What other positive effects might exercise have on the body then leading to increased mood and hopefully decreased anxiety? Well, certainly if one feels like one is becoming stronger or maybe even that their body image improves with exercise, I think there can be a real um, mood-enhancing effect from that just on a purely physical basis. And then psychologically, there's that sense of mastery that comes with athletic achievement for most of us, I think. Is there any evidence that it may help you sleep better and that could then affect anxiety and depression? In a general sense, yeah, but uh, with a caveat. And that is that some people who work out very late in the day will be I can think of ice hockey players who don't get their ice time until 10 p.m. And you go out there and you're tachycardic and sweating and pumped up from a game and come home at about midnight and it's impossible to go to sleep until about 4 a.m. And you can imagine the negative cycle that could generate. If you can control your schedule and, you know, go to sleep at, you know, 10 o'clock after having had a workout at 8 a.m., it may actually lead to more sound sleep. That makes sense. How about changes in body temperature? Does that have an effect? There is a thought that, you know, acutely, of course, exercise increases body temperature, and it's thought that that might actually have a calming effect or sort of have a mood-enhancing effect. Although, interestingly, I have a colleague who is doing research on body temperature and feels that there's a real importance to a connection between lower body temperature and longevity and lowering body temperature to treat a lot of medical conditions. And it would appear that athletes actually walk around with a lower resting body temperature. But then in the acute moment during exercise, it increases. That's right. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Tony Baum, the vice president of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. We're discussing some of the benefits of exercise to our psychological system. Tony, what other kinds of benefits? We've talked about clearly physical benefits, perhaps neurochemical benefits, the increased confidence, perhaps body image, self-esteem. Might there be other benefits of exercise for depressed and anxious patients? I have gotten a sense over time uh, clinically that there is a real mood-stabilizing effect of exercise. And let me just give you a clinical example. That's, it's a fairly stark example, and it ends up crossing over into kind of a a destructive way of using exercise, but it started out pretty therapeutic. There was a 33-year-old man who had a strong family history of depression. His own father had medicated his own depression with a lot of alcohol. The patient himself, the 33-year-old, had never touched a drop of alcohol. He was one of those who just eschewed alcohol because of what he'd been exposed to. Suffering from depression without really letting himself be conscious of it, you know, was really pushing it away. And at the age of 33, though he'd had an athletic background as a youth, he'd really never done any running. And he sees a flyer for a marathon and just decides, I'm going to run that marathon. That marathon led to an incredible athletic voyage. In one year, he ran three Ironman races. And for those listeners who don't know what an Ironman is, it's the sort of ultimate triathlon, which starts with a 2.4-mile swim and moves on to a 112-mile bike ride and is followed by the crowning achievement, a marathon. So after a year like that, the following year, this patient ran four Ironmans, 50-mile race and a 100-mile race, 
and a week later ran two 5K races on the same day. Eventually, this guy found himself on a race course and literally collapsed. I mean, he had done, in a period of about 10 years, 42 marathons, 27 Ironmans, Mm -hmm. six ultramarathons, and actually calculated that he had done the equivalent of going around the world one and a half times. This culminated in collapse. And it wasn't until he collapsed that he was actually able to go and see a psychiatrist and get on medication. And now that he's on medication, he's able to do these races and incorporate the benefits in a much more measured way and with much greater enjoyment. So certainly there are people that, it sounds like this particular fellow, that get addicted in a very negative sense to exercise. Yeah, and that's, that's one of those gray areas where, you know, when is this addiction a negative? And I, I think there one just needs to use common sense because I think clearly exercise can be a positive addiction, so to speak. So how much exercise does it really take to influence mood and anxiety? Well, some would say that it really requires you know, at least a half an hour or so, multiple times a week. I never like to, with a patient, lay down any kind of a mandate because there's so much individual variation. And I think that you also, in somebody who's pretty completely sedentary, you really don't want to discourage them from getting started. So you you kind of take those baby steps to get there. So maybe with an ultimate goal of 30 minutes several times a week, but, but certainly at the beginning, we'll take anything we can get. You know, it's certainly, I think, for many patients, that's the problem in getting started, that, that that seems so overwhelming that they can't even get out the door. Now, what about in terms of distraction? Is exercise perhaps uh, distracting people from their problems in a healthy way? I think it can work both ways. I think that distraction really can be a very healthy thing. It's sort of a different kind of a focus. It gets people sometimes outside of themselves and outside of their heads, so to speak, especially if they're having a tendency to obsess about things. Sometimes it actually creates socialization if you're part of a team or part of a running program where you go out with a bunch of people, and that can be so therapeutic. I know that for myself, when I go out for a run, I work on problems. Or like this morning when I was out for a jog, I was thinking about this program and, you know, what cases was I going to talk about and, you know, what patients was I going to be seeing this morning. And and So uh, it can also be very therapeutic. Well, I want to thank you so much today, Tony, for joining us. We've been discussing the mental health benefits of exercise. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.